I, I'm so grateful. Like every time, part of my whole recovery has been gratitude. It's such a huge practice for me. Even when I've had mental health challenges, like during my recovery, bringing it back to being grateful for the simplest things. You can always find something to be grateful for, even on the crappiest days. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Here we are back in the Plugged In Media Network podcast studio. We have an amazing guest today, but first uh, let's introduce who's around the table. Today we got Derek. Hello, everybody. Yeah, for sure. Welcome. Amber. Hey, everybody. Wonderful. And our guest, Keely. How are you doing today? Good, thanks. Yeah. yeah. What does is, what is good look like? Um, I'm well. I'm very content this morning. Ah, Great to be here. Content. Awesome. Content. I like that. I like that word. You like that word, Derek? Yeah. How are you feeling then? Very content to be. Oh, I'm going to ask Amber, but you can't say content. I'm going to concur. <laughs> I concur. I feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. We're almost at the weekend. It's been a good week. Yeah. So I'm week. happy to have Keely here today. Excited to hear her story. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I know we've talked about having Keely on before and just never got around to reaching out and asking you. And, and then when you brought this to the table, amazing. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for you to be here. I read some of your story and I know some of it, but yeah, amazing when people can step up and feel comfortable sharing their story of uh, hope and how they got through their darkness and it opens the door. Like we've seen so many times before, it opens the door for for individuals out there struggling to reach out. We just had a lady reach out this week nice. and I'll talk to you about it after Amber, but uh, perfect. yeah, listening to our podcast and finally recognize that maybe she's at a place where she wants to tell her story and help others. So. That's amazing. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, enough about us. Um, what about you, Keely? What brings you in today? How You said you're doing good. You're content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. How do you know Amber? Um, <laughs> right on the spot. Our chil- it's funny. Our children are siblings. siblings. <laughs> Say what? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Very Her cool. son and my daughter are brother and sister. That is so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Learned something new today, Derek. Did you know this? Did you hold out I on me? I did not know this. Oh, perfect. Cool. Yeah. So let's get into it. What's, uh, how are you doing? Let's talk about your story. Let's um, start, wherever, start wherever you want. Well, uh, that's, <laughs> that's challenging. It is for sure. So obviously you have a story to share with us. Yeah. A story of probably, I'm going to guess some struggle and some, uh, some hope and some action pieces and what things look like now and. Definitely. Um, actually, right before Amber sent me the text about your podcast, I was on a long run and I was thinking about things and, you know, like four hours. So I have a lot of time to process things in my head, but I was trying to think how I could be of more service to the recovery community. And I was like, well, I really need to share my story more so that people can see um, that I am a a uh, face of addiction. Yeah. And uh and then right after that I got Amber's text, which is really cool. Weird how that works I sometimes, it is. isn't it? Yeah. Just wanna pause for a second. You can run 
for that long? Four <laughs> yeah. hours, eh? Wow. She's a crazy around. That's and amazing. I've seen her out there and the police aren't chasing her. Oh. So she's <laughs> doing it on her own. <laughs> no, I follow you on social media and some of the runs that you take part in are, they're not, a, in my book, they're not a run. They're a journey. They're an adventure and they That's are amazing. very long. Some people don't drive that far. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good for so you. So cool. Keely, where do you think your addiction started? Um, I, I feel like I, I was born with this brain, but, um, definitely, and, um, I know some people who have gotten sober and they're like, that, that was the only thing that was wrong with them. Uh, The, the drug or the, like Dale Mm -hmm. on your recent, um, episode that alcoholism was relief to him Mm -hmm. but for me it was definitely the mental health component first um so I know when I I was always extreme as a kid um and growing up you know and when I hit about 12 which seems to be some kind of a key age for (laughs) recognizing mental health issues at least for girls I I definitely had my first really depressive episode. Um, and I wasn't drinking then. I grew up really sheltered. Um, I skipped a grade and I started school early. So I hit grade 12 and I was 16. Um, and that's when I first drank. Um, and I think I, I rebelled a little bit when I, when I first started drinking because, um, I'd been so sheltered. It was so shocking to my parents for me to like stay out past 10 o'clock and to, and, um, I don't even know that, that I was drinking alcoholically at that point. I, I definitely didn't have a, I couldn't predict what would happen when I drank, but, um, when I really started diving into my substance use problems was when I had postpartum. Um, right after my son was born, about six months after he was born. Wow. Wow. So, so you think you were drinking for, were you drinking for the taste of it or were you drinking for the effect of it? I hate, I've never liked the taste of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bizarrely, like I've never enjoyed a beer in my life, <laughs> um, but definitely the effect yeah. shut down. I think that's a pretty common thread for all of us is we get to that point where it's not about the substance. It's about the effect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The solution to our problems. We say that all the time. Totally. Right. Numb the pain, numb our feelings, numb our thoughts. Absolutely. And I just noticed your sweater, Amber. We're back, bitches. (laughs) I love it. I I thought it was so great for today. Actually, uh, Sabrina had them made up when she was able to open up her spin studio. And mm. I bought one because she was closed for so long. Right. And so, yeah, I had to, I had to get one. <laughs> You're a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's the squirrel in the real squirrel. Yeah. It was okay. funny too, because I was at work and, and one of the managers was like, are you working today? With <laughs> this is an HR risk. <laughs> <laughs> I do me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Someone complains that can complain. Oh man, that's so funny. <laughs> but. So yeah, you started really getting into the the alcohol due to the postpartum. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, yeah. I had really, really bad postpartum anxiety. Mm-hmm. And um, I was 21, I guess, when Liam was born. So 
young. Um, my mom at that time and my husband were both kind of like, get it together. Like they didn't see what was wrong. Like you have a beautiful child. Like <laughs> what is your issue? But I, I couldn't sleep ever. So I would start drinking in the evening, just a few drinks to fall asleep. And then, you know, it progressed so that I needed a few drinks before I made a phone call or before I left the house. And then, um, kind of carried on from there for a good decade. Yeah. I think that's one of the common things we hear from a lot of people that reach out to us. And even early on in my journey as well is, you know, people that don't really understand addiction or aren't educated on it or have never been down that road. Mm -hmm. It's like, you should get your shit together. Like, yeah. you know better. Look at all the people, you know, all the people you're hurting, get your shit together. Just stop. Yeah. Yeah. Just and quit. I, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when you have a baby, that's a whole new ball game. You know, I, I remember I worked with a really great group of ladies at the time, and and they would always, I remember I had my first kid, and they would ask me all the time, like, okay, but how do you feel, right? Like, just check, always mm -hmm. checking in, knowing that that could have been an issue, because it happens with a lot of, a lot of women with oh, the dear. postpartum stuff, yeah. And and I, I don't think that there's always a place that they, you know, feel comfortable to open up because you know i i would i would think that you guys probably carry a lot of you know shame with that because you don't understand why this is happening to you right and For not sure. being able to open up and to um you know ask people and um not having people that you can open up to who who aren't going to you know judge you is a huge thing so yeah like I'm fortunate that I didn't have to go through that like yeah. super fortunate but I couldn't imagine like how you might have felt in those times and then how you go unsupported and mm -hmm. how that could really drive drive you into addiction to help not feel that way mm -hmm. yeah wow yeah that's all you know full transparency like we always do here at OCJ is we don't know what we don't know and we're not scared to say it. Right. And I don't know a whole lot about postpartum. So when I hear this topic and I hear people who have been through it, talk about it, it's all ears for me. Cause the more I can soak up and understand, I, cause obviously I'll never go through it, but the more I can understand it, it makes it a lot easier to, to help people who are going through it themselves. Right. Mm -hmm, for That's sure. I think one of the things that really, um, drove me to drink at that point was that postpartum, sends like intrusive thoughts into your head so anxiety i had always lived i was a fairly anxious person and i still deal with anxiety but um postpartum is like a whole new ball game of anxiety it's scary it frightens you and so you kind of don't really want to tell other people even though you like i knew postpartum was a thing i had heard celebrities talk about it and talk about some of the scary stuff, but you also aren't like, you really don't really want to tell anybody that this is happening um, because it sounds so awful. Mm -hmm. And then, so anything that I could do to get my brain to shut up. Um, and then, you know, life just spirals out of control. For sure. Um, as, as alcoholism or addiction pro progresses. Yeah. And I know Rick has said it before in some public speaking, right? There's, 
there's no therapist out there who can who can uh, compete with the immediate gratification of alcohol or drugs. Like right. it's instant. And once you get down that path, we know what we're getting as soon as we partake in that behavior, right? Where yeah. it's instant. It's not weeks and weeks of work and with a therapist. And so, I mean, that piece there, I can totally relate to that. When, when I would struggle mentally, emotionally, I knew that if I took a line of cocaine or went and got some alcohol, things were going to be better for me. And I'm looking back now, that's completely in, insane. But <laughs> yeah. at the time, it's sure normal, right? Oh yeah. man, I can't wait till five o'clock and I can get some beers in me. Yeah, get like loaded that, right? tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think we all have that experience at one point. Even people who don't struggle with alcoholism or drug addiction, I'm sure that's a coping mechanism for them. They just haven't pushed it as far as we pushed it and it blew up yeah. from substance abuse to full-blown addiction for us. Yeah, we lack the off switch. Yeah. That's what I always say for me. I lacked an off switch. It should have been a big red button. Yeah. I know I I hit a big red button, but I don't. I never knew how to stop doing cocaine. That's for sure. Oh, man. Uh, The only time I knew how to stop was when the bag went empty. Yeah. But then it was replaceable very quickly. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, full blown alcoholism after that, hey? Uh, Yeah. And my, a very small amount of alcohol would give me a big reaction like I could never drink hard alcohol because I would just I'd be out in a second so um I I never drank heavily um but it's progressed to every day and then um definitely affected my my marriage so we were only married for about a year and um split up and I started at that point to try and get some help. Um, I think I went to my first first rehab way back then when my son was about two. And uh but I didn't get sober until he was ten or sober for any length of time. So it was a downward slide. And I'd have periods in there where I'd be like I'd hold down a job and, and manage. Um but it would always come back and and I'd continue down that path and never gets any better. And mm-hmm. yeah. I think one of the really intriguing pieces that you spoke about there was you weren't a heavy drinker. And I, I run into that all the time talking with people and neither was I. <clears throat> I wasn't a, a heavy all day, every day drinker. <clears throat> Excuse me. But really it doesn't matter how much you consume, right? It, it's yeah. what you're consuming it for and the effects here. I always go back to the story that um, one of our guests shared earlier on about the, in season one, about the old lady at, her, at his, one of his first 12 step meetings and she would drink one glass of wine a day. And he re- remembers saying, you know, I think you're maybe in the wrong spot. I don't know. But then she continued and talked about, but the other 23 hours, all I think about is that one glass of wine. Yeah, And that's that piece that, it doesn't really matter what you're using, how much of it you're using. It's why you're using it. Yeah. So yeah, that's a huge piece. Yeah. Well, I, um, I mean, I sure I would have drank more if I had needed more, but that's all, <laughs> all like I would be unconscious. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You My didn't... body reacted very quickly to, to substance and I did, was not processing it. Like when, at the end, my body was shutting down <clears throat> and I was not drinking a lot. Jeez. I mean, I was drinking I was drinking non-beverage alcohol at that point. So that will kill you pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. I can, uh, I look back and 
there were definitely periods where I thought I had my drinking under control because I would stop for, you know, a month or two, but then it's like, oh, I'm just going to have this one beer and I'll be okay. And and then you get back in that, you know, cycle. And um, I recall times where I would be done work and I would pick up a six pack and head home and I would have it half done by the time I hit mm-hmm. the gravel road because yeah. and uh, I I uh, I uh, I wish that I had found a program or found people um at that time that would have been like dude <laughs> that's not good right <laughs> but when when you live in a in a part of the country when you live in the middle of absolutely n- right no where you know certain things become part of your daily life because when you go out to check cows or you're you go to do something you guys got to stop and have a beer first mm-hmm. and it it uh it started to affect me and it started to affect my family but um i just kept telling myself that this was okay because this is what everybody else around me continued to do yeah and and then it turned into drinking almost every day and then it turned into when i was home um i would start to drink as a soon as everybody stepped out of the house and you start to hide it and you start to you know try to find ways to um you know lie about it right because um we're all trying to hide it right but uh, we get to a spot where we can't hide it anymore and Mm -hmm. everything that that we have done and all of the destruction that we have caused um at a some point in your life will come back and mm-hmm. um i've uh, said this before you know you you have to be able to deal with the past in the present while you're sober or you won't ever get out yeah for sure I think if you're at that point where you're hiding it, if you got a bottle in the tractor and one in the shop and one in <laughs> under the seat of your truck, and if anybody listening is doing that, it's time to check yourself because that's not normal. You do a little self-reflection. Yeah. I have a question, Keely, if you don't mind me circling back. How long, and because I'm very naive to knowing a lot about postpartum as well, but like how long do, the, do your feelings last in that space? And like how long... Did anybody recognize that that was the issue going on or did they just then think it was an alcohol issue? Was there um, any confusion around? Like, did you hide it well enough with addiction that they were like, oh, we can't actually see that there's a mental health thing going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't really know how long the, I know I've heard of people having postpartum like two years after their wow. baby was born. Um, and you know, once you start bringing alcohol into the picture, it's really hard to see what is still the mental health and what's the the depressant that you're adding. Um, but definitely my 
My mom told me the other day that that Josh, my husband at the time, said to her shortly after we got married, I think Keely's an alcoholic. And then, um, so it was about a year after that our marriage ended. Um, but and, and I, like, from probably that point, I was fine saying I'm an alcoholic. I owned that. I knew that I had this issue. I just could not... Um, I guess, access the resources to enable me to make the choice to stop until when I did, which was eight years ago. Yeah, and Josh was gone all the time. Yeah. And you guys were living in an isolated area. Yeah. What I remember. Yeah, none of that um, helped. I We moved to Breton, Alberta, which is up by uh, past Edmonton kind of by Drayton Valley and he was away for work all the time. So I was home with a little baby all the time and didn't have a vehicle, um, no support system there at all. So that definitely didn't, didn't help things. Yeah, for sure. That isolation piece. Yeah. That would have been hard trying to, to understand what was happening and like, honestly not having anybody to, you know, talk to and, we, we get stuck up in our heads and, you know, things seem to be a lot tougher. And, um, you know, when we don't have people who can, you know, help us, um, it makes trying to deal with what's going on up in our heads so hard. And I think one thing that, that we're trying to do here is to help people to you know be able to find places to open up to Mm -hmm. for sure i and i think that um like when i finally said i i need help then my mom and and josh and my in-laws and everything really tried to help me um but there's just so much shame personally Mm -hmm. around saying that to them that took me a long time to get there yeah shame and guilt over is the biggest detractor from getting help and putting yourself out there mm-hmm. from a vulnerability standpoint mm-hmm. enough to get it for sure right to open up to have to be uncomfortable we say that all the time to have to actually live with the things that we feel mm-hmm. and then getting the support and and then trying to communicate those things to other people and hoping that they understand and yeah it's such a complex, scary place to be in. For sure. And unless you've actually been there to experience it yourself, it's really hard to wrap our brains around Yeah, how that could be the obstacle for you to reach out and change your life. And when you're in that space, man, that shame and guilt and mix in fear. And for me, it was fear of everything. Um, Man, that's like a brick wall standing in front of you. You know that you should reach out for help. But then you mix in the addictive brain and the way we think. It's like you have a good little spout or a good little bout of, you know, it's not that bad. Oh, oh, well, it's not that bad. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do this myself. And yeah, it's crazy. And like you were saying, Amber, you know, one of the things I like to say is you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable to get into recovery because it's a lot of new things that we've never really done before. And and we have to push through that fear and continuously push through it yeah. and, and meet the challenges on the other side. and. They start building up into small successes. And before you know it, man, I got 30 days in recovery. How the hell did I get here? 
Yeah. But yeah, it's it's not easy as you don't just say no. I stopped today. I think it's really the, tough. The best part too is like, and we've all talked about it, um, is that we can laugh. We can literally go back now today and laugh at how irrational we were mm-hmm. and the, how our thoughts were so irrational. <laughs> like the things you tell yourself as an addict is mind-blowingly ridiculous. Yeah. Like there's just no common sense to it. It's completely fear-based thinking. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. And our uh, the, the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are um, – have a are very very powerful and our our you know w- words and our thoughts um have the power to either heal or to destroy and um one thing that i've i've had to learn is that um when when that you know voice is trying to take you down you you got to find healthy ways to talk back to it and I, I don't know how many times I've just told myself to shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's like, brain, we're not, we're, we are not going back there today, right? We've already dealt with this. So let's find a way to create a better pathway, right? And yeah. um, we all have to be very, very careful um, of, of how we talk to ourselves and how we talk to the people um, around us because our words are so, so powerful and, um, we need to be responsible with them. So Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. So into sobriety, what does that look like? What, when you decided that I need to make these changes, what, what was leading up to that? And what does that look like for you? Um, well, I thought I had hit rock, rock, bottom Mm -hmm. you know uh when my marriage ended and um many times over the years it but it just kept getting worse it's weird Uh, how that happens we find a way to go just keep digging (laughs) yeah (laughs) how big can we make the hole (laughs) who's got the dynamite i got the match (laughs) i um so i was living in medicine hat and um just spiraling um i would pass out drunk all over the place and uh, i know you guys have had staff sergeant sakondiak on Mm -hmm. before yeah i had to make an amend to him (laughs) (laughs) he had to scoop me up many a time (laughs) um and finally i thought it would be brilliant if i got on a bus and went to bc and that would definitely solve all the problems um and so I went to BC actually does have some really good resources that Alberta is not there yet, but um, certainly didn't get me sober. I um, was homeless in in uh, Victoria for a while, and that's pretty unpleasant. Um, and drinking you know, cooking wine and Listerine because I had no, no money. Um, so that also like shuts down your, mm-hmm. your body pretty quickly. Um, and then I started having seizures when I, I tried to get off of alcohol. So, um, I really didn't want to be drinking anymore and I couldn't quit. And it was 
terrifying because I would, as soon as the alcohol would start, once you have your first seizure, it lowers your seizure threshold. So um, I got to the point where every time I, the alcohol would leave my body, I would, ha- I would seize. So I was having seizures like all over Victoria. Um, and finally, I, I don't know what had to happen for me to make that choice. If I just had to have, it was, I had zero hope. I, um, I had no, you know, I knew my family had kind of given up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had this time that I was supposed to call my son every night, but I couldn't make it till that time sober. So I'd always miss that call. Um, so I just, you know, I, I hated myself. I hated my life. I felt horrible. And I was in the hospital um, because of one of my seizures. And the doctor came and talked to me and she said, you know, if you continue, you have about three days and you're, you're, you'll die. And I, my best friend um, was a, who's now passed away from alcoholism, um, was an active alcoholic at the time but she was also a nurse and she was there and I was like she's the doctor's bullshitting me right and because I thought they always just try and scare you and she was like no she looked at my stuff and she's like I think she's kind of right like you're you're just your your blood work is very wacky and and so I checked myself out of the hospital and went home that night and I just something in me I was just like enough that's it mm-hmm. um I called my mom and I said I'm going home to sober up she was like yeah I'm sure okay she wrote it down because she'd been writing down you know like where I was every day and had a seizure here had a seizure there and um three days later I just stayed on the couch in the apartment where I was living um three days later I managed to get to a meeting and six months later moved back to medicine hat and was back in my son's life and then started rebuilding wow that's an amazing story that's wild that's powerful yeah crazy so no treatment no did well, you utilize any medical professionals i have been to treatment many times right. um and i've been to detox more times than that right. detox you know uh i'd never been to the our recovery center here but um it wasn't open then, I guess. Uh, but Calgary and Fort McLeod. And um, I definitely took away tools from mm-hmm. all those places. Um, but I just wasn't in the right place to be able to, to utilize <laughs> them properly. Um, but the, the time that I actually quit, uh, no treatment. I actually went to... Um, uh, on my way home from the hospital, I stopped at, there's, there's a clinic in, on Pandora, downtown Victoria, that um, services a lot of substance use for people struggling with substance use issues and homeless people. And um, stopped in there, told the doctor that I was going home to detox on my own and could I take something because I was going to seize. And mm-hmm. she was like, yeah, well, that doesn't work for you, so I'm not giving you anything. She gave me, she gave me a Valium and she said, um, there you go. 
break it into a few pieces and make it last. Good luck with that. Wow. We'll see you again. Like she had did not have any faith and fair enough. Like she'd seen me for the last year, um, relapsing and relapsing. Mm -hmm. And so I broke up that piece of volume and then had a bunch of seizures and, um, but got through it. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. And I, Imagine you probably wouldn't recommend that to any listeners. No, I wouldn't. (laughs) I should have been in the hospital. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Right. Anytime I meet anybody in recovery that got there, you know, whether it's the first time trying to get into recovery or the 10th time, whatever that looks like, when they didn't utilize a treatment facility, I'm mesmerized by that because myself, I couldn't imagine getting into recovery if I didn't have that safe space to go and, and hang out without having access to drugs or alcohol for, for me, it was seven weeks. And when I meet people in the rooms or wherever, and they're like, no, I just came to a meeting and it worked. And I'm like, holy shit. I don't think that would have worked for me. I needed that get out of society, get out of everything. Yeah. Uh, it's baffling to me how that one time that was it. Yeah. Uh, and I had gone to, like, I went to a treatment program that was two months in Quebec. Um, and that whole being away from everybody, uh, I felt really great leaving that. But I lasted, like, a week back mm-hmm. home in Brooks um, before I was drinking again. Right. Yeah. Uh, you're <laughs> similar to me. I knew the basic tools of what I should be doing to get sober. I just wasn't really ready to ever mm-hmm. change my outcome right. until that light clicked for me where I was like, okay, I either die yeah. or, or I change. Yeah. Amazing. Well, and I think those times we spend in treatment, like both you ladies, and you talk about how you weren't ready or the tools were there, but I wasn't utilizing them, stuff like that, right? I don't, I think I hear you guys saying that, it wasn't a complete waste because you remember them mm-hmm. later on, right? And it's maybe just that planting a seed at the time. Lots of people that we talk to aren't quite ready yet today, but I don't think it's ever a waste of time. So if anyone's listening and is thinking, man, treatment's not going to work for me, try it. Yeah. Yeah, it might, right? And it's never a waste. No, yeah, definitely. I learned um, like incredible things every mm-hmm. time and formed relationships that I still have to this day and yeah Yeah, that's amazing so now you're back you're back in medicine hat you're into recovery you're reunited with your son um yeah you know all the things that a suggests or not a but um people in the program suggest that you don't do in the first year like Mm -hmm. move and start a new job and go back to school and get into a relationship Mm -hmm. i did like everything at once i was like (laughs) i've missed out on all this time i've got to make up for everything so i I uh, went back to university to finish my um, degree. Um, uh, I started having my son every day and um, got back together with my my boyfriend who I'd been with before I went to BC, um, who'd kind of had to take a step back. He had two kids and, you know, me (laughs) showing up. And passing out on his lawn was not really appropriate. Or <laughs> been there, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then having yeah. <laughs> having Sakandia come and <laughs> take me away <laughs> wasn't good for the neighbors. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I, I don't think um, um, a lot of people understand exactly what it takes to pull yourself out of, of you know, um, of you know, a, of of like addiction, and um, uh, all of us on this earth are addicted to something, right? Um, some of us unfortunately have things passed down to us from the you know generations that came you know but um uh, when when we when we can you know uh, understand what is you know happening and when we are able to take you know the the like positive spots from our tough path and we can you know use that um to help us get past a bad day um you know the the uh uh power of of being able to um you know stop playing the you know victim and you know say this is my life and it doesn't matter what's happened to me you know in the past, um, I can I can change and I can make choices, and it's going to be hard, but um, there is definitely a way out. And your story is one of hope. And I honestly think that a lot of people who you know listen into this are going to definitely you know be able to get an open connect with um uh, what what you're telling us and um i'm i'm inspired by you today so thanks thank you for being here that's awesome you know i think when i sit here and i listen to how you found recovery keely and how you founded amber and derek how you got through your tough times i think it all comes down to that action piece right when we have that moment of clarity with whether it's a spiritual awakening or it's you wake up on the couch at two in the morning and Billy Graham's on the TV, whatever that is, right? <laughs> that, that light bulb moment where, holy shit, I got to do something different here because I'm going to die. And it's what comes next is an action piece. And it looks different for all of us, um, whether it's treatment, whether it's going to a meeting, whether it's, it, it's all, I think it comes down to what you said, right? Like, <clears throat> what's that piece I can do? And all of our stories have support in them. It's whether it's support from a meeting, support from a therapist, support from a treatment center. It's going to look different for all of us because we all got into active addiction different way. You know, all our stories are different and all our stories of recovery are different. And there's many paths to recovery, but it all that common thread that I hear a lot is support because our best thinking took us to (laughs) homeless in Victoria. For me, it was suicide in a truck in a field. Our stories are all so similar in that it takes us to some really shitty, deep, dark, gross places and hopelessness. I think that's the overwhelming feeling I had at the end. Everything was black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember I went to like this in treatment program and them talking about like things to look forward to and finding, trying to create that hope. And I remember having nothing. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's just nothing here. Like, yeah. What do you look forward to when you're in active addiction and you're just so at such a low state? I vividly remember being like, I got nothing. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what I do think, I write on this paper? Because I don't have it. Totally. Yeah. And I think that yeah. goes back to what Derek was saying, like the yeah. stories we tell ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah. Because I know for me, I tied myself to my career for so long, 20 years in the oil and gas industry and management and all these things, right? That's who I was. Yeah. And an ex-retired hockey player or whatever, right? That was my identity. And when all that stuff was gone and now I wasn't married anymore and I didn't have these big showcase pieces, a house and all these things to show who I was, I can remember sitting in treatment, you know, writing out something similar. And I'm like, I don't have a fucking thing I can put on this list. I'm nothing. And it's that story. My brain, uh, it just works differently. And that self-worth piece is so easy to beat the shit out of ourselves because nobody knows we're doing it. (laughs) But we'd never say that stuff to one of our friends. But to us, it's easy to say, right? Yeah. And that's where those support pieces, because most of the time you guys will all know what I'm thinking. I know Rick finishes my sentences. <laughs> We're all just so similar with our thought process, right? Because addiction has so many common threads. We're all different. We got two ladies and two men sitting in the room from all different backgrounds, and we all share similar stories. Yeah, it's cool. I always hold on to something Derek says, and I'm in the middle of my recovery training program, and there's a lady, and she had asked about, you know, I had recently just met with a young man, and I said, I just say what Derek says all the time, and is to be kind to mm-hmm. yourself because, and that is so impactful on people to remember when they're coming mm-hmm. out of addiction, because it's so easy to beat ourselves up. Totally. And if you just remember like that one <clears throat> statement of like, every day is going to be a new day. And if you just try to be kind to yourself throughout that process, Isn't that I think truth, it'll eh? make it a huge impact. Wisdom guy over here. Yeah. yeah. He's always <laughs> full of, <laughs> we need to get him a little ball yeah, right. or a little, <laughs> Gandalf. Yes. <laughs> Just kidding. No, um, I, I definitely think that um, a huge part of people getting stuck in in a spot is is that we lose hope, and um, hope is a very powerful tool. And uh, there's actually a group at the University of Alberta that has dedicated their life to researching hope um and uh i think that hope comes from having a belief that things can get better and i i had an opportunity yesterday to meet with a gentleman who had a brain injury and he's dealing with a lot of the same stuff that that i dealt with for nine ten years and um he uh he got hurt and um just being able to to help bring hope back to him and to be able to you know see that come alive in his eyes mm-hmm. there's there's no greater high than than when people have hope and i said this before and i'll say it again our words are so powerful and we we need to learn how to be kind to ourselves. Um, we need to learn how to battle those loud, dark voices because they sometimes are so loud. Mm-hmm. And um, my uh, faith has has gotten me through a lot of stuff, and it's it's always given me hope. And all of us have to find something to have faith in. And once we do and we can, you know, see that, then the hope starts to come back to our lives, I think. Mm -hmm. For sure. One of the things I 
I always think about when I hear, you know, we talk about hope and hope coming back to our lives and there's listeners out there and I've worked with so many people that have experienced trauma, um, whatever that looks like in their lives, trauma and addiction right from all the way up from five years old or whatever. Right. So theoretically they may have never had an example of hope in their life. So it's not bringing back hope to their lives. It's being a, you know, a version of hope, something showing them what hope is, right? Like a, because they've never seen it before. And I know when I hear about addiction and people talking about getting into recovery and I want to get back to the way I used to be, I want to get back to, you know, when I was happy. And some of these individuals have never experienced that because they're, you know, from such a young age. So they don't know what they don't know because what they're living in is their normal, right? So it's just these stories, getting these stories out there and having them fall on people's ears who need to hear them that, holy shit, there is some hope out there. Because when you're in active addiction, like some of the lifelong people that I've worked with that are struggling with addiction, um, they don't, yeah, they don't know what hope is, right? That's all they know. So they don't, definitely don't know what recovery is because they're surrounded by addiction on the daily. And mm-hmm. it's a, it's a take world out there when you're in active addiction. It's what can I get from you? And I ain't giving you shit. Yeah. And to be able to show them and expose them to this recovery community and, and show them there is hope. And it's not just from me. It's from everyone at this table. It's from everyone who comes through the door there's a lot of hope out there, but that's part of what OCJ is, is let's, you know, you sh- we say this a lot. So you shouldn't have to burn your life to the ground to find a support group, right? So let's take the support group. Let's take the the message of hope out to the people because I didn't know it existed before I burnt my life to the ground. So, yeah. wh- you know, why is that? It's wild. Hmm. Yeah. Cause everybody always says like, it was just, you were either at death or you've, burnt every bridge like that it's always the same repeating story yeah absolutely and i do hope that this podcast brings more light to people that they can resonate and and hear everybody's stories keely's your story is amazing um everybody has a a really good story on here and there's lots that we don't even know about yet so for sure and i think the cool part about the podcast too is that people can listen um before they ever get to a meeting yeah right and see that there, maybe there is something that sticks out for them that. Totally. And you don't have to carry around a 12 step book. You don't have to, you know, be sitting in a waiting room at a counselor's office. You don't need to do any of that. You can listen to it on the bus. You can listen to it in your transit, whatever that looks like, right? When it's comfortable for you and just hear these messages because they're important. Like your story is going to fall on some ears that we probably don't even know who they are. Yeah. And, and like the lady who reached out the other day, and is open to sharing her story because the podcast has opened the door for her to do some of her own personal work. And she's at a place now after four years that uh, she's ready to share and help others. And that's so inspiring. And when individuals come through that door, like yourself, Killian, want to be part of this and want to share their story. It's the best hour of my week. Yeah. <laughs> we love being here. I love oh. this room. <laughs> yeah. So I tell Keely, it's fun. It <laughs> tell everybody it's fun when you come in here. It, it is totally lots of fun. Is. Yeah. I love talking recovery and I could talk it all day long to anybody who wants to listen. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, when we come in here, that's the thing. And I always find that we start taking over the mics when we have a guest in, but (laughs) tell us more about your recovery, your, your journey. Um, uh, well, there's, there's a, there's a piece (laughs) I want to share. Throw the ball back to you. (laughs) Um, so I, there's a component that I want to share. Um, there, I started running, 
as you've seen me around the community. Um, and actually I finished my degree and then I was like, okay, what do I check off my bucket list next? Like I would not recommend this way of, of thinking. You don't need to go extreme into filling your life with everything. But um, I was like, okay, I need to run an ultra marathon. And so I, I trained for an ultra and ran my first one. And then I was um, hooked on that. I really loved loved the ultra community. It's similar to the recovery community in a lot of ways. People from all walks of life, super accepting. Um, Whoa, time out. Tell anyone who's listening and myself, because I'm a... Uh, uh, like a cardio guy, but not a fucking runner. That's for sure. What's an ultra? An ultra is anything longer than a traditional marathon distance, which is 42.2 kilometers. So usually they start at 50. Yeah. My first one was um, Lost Soul and Lethbridge, which is 53. And then you do 100. And so I'm gearing up right now to um, go for the Canadian, the female Canadian six-day record. Um, in Arizona in 26 days. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah. And, um, part of that, I, I'm so grateful. Like every time part of my whole recovery has been gratitude. It's such a huge practice for me. Even when I've had mental health challenges, like during my recovery, bringing it back to being grateful for the simplest things. You can always find something to be grateful for, even on the crappiest days. Um, so every run, even the really bad ones, I'm always glad that I'm able-bodied. I can um, do this. I live in a community that's safe enough for me to run. I can run in the middle of the night and I'm not scared. Um, and so when I was approaching this six-day race in the last couple of years, um, I've known a few people that were really close to me, lost them to opioid, uh, misuse, unintentional mm -hmm. overdose. I expect, um, I know like Albert across Canada, I guess totally. it's been an epidemic before COVID. Um, so I was hoping to raise, initially I was like, okay, I'll try and raise, I know COVID has been a hard time for people financially. I'll try and raise, um, a dollar for every kilometer I'm running, which is, I need to run about 735 kilometers over the six days to get the record. Um, but then I, my mom was like, why don't you raise a dollar for every person that lost their life in 2021? And so that is about 1600. So mm -hmm. that was the, the goal. So I've been, um, I made a, or I talked to mom, stop the harm. Um, they're an advocacy and, and support group mm -hmm. and they do a lot of good work um, around changing drug policy and stuff. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with them. And uh, so I've raised, I just started it last week and I've raised about 1200. So I'm, oh I'm sure gosh. we'll hit oh, the, wow. good for you. we'll surpass the goal. Mm -hmm. It's not like some crazy huge amount, but um, it definitely is a big motivator for my run out there because I'll be thinking of these people yeah. and, and the, yeah, I'm grateful that I can run. Oh my goodness. That I can do that. That's a wonderful way to give back. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. So Seven. 735 kilometers? Yeah, the record is 734.25. So uh, 
I'll be aiming for 740, but you know, I'll be fine with 735. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 735.75. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Tap out. Yeah. That's amazing. But I, I'll be happy with like a lot of things can go wrong in ultra marathons. Mm-hmm. They're kind of, people say it's like living your entire life in a race because there's super high, super low. Um, you get sick, you For get sure. injured. So, um, I'll be, I'll be happy with whatever happens out there. I'm just, I've been training for it for, for two years now. So oh my goodness. I'm ready. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Good that for you. Takes a lot of drive and commitment and heart to, uh, be able to, uh, put your body into a position that it can run for that, for that long. You know, honestly, it's the mental suffering mm-hmm. for this kind of a race because it, it's 120 kilometers a day, which is far, but it's not like it's it's not crazy. I can walk lots. It's the mental keep going through totally. all the shit, and I figure I've had some good training with yeah. mental suffering. I put myself <laughs> through all that, right? Sounds like you know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, that mental piece, and that's cool to hear you that you're preparing for that because I know um, back in 2015 when I did my bike trip across Canada, that was the piece that I overlooked. I thought, man, this is gonna be so hard. I better do a little training, which I never did. Three months out of treatment, but started out in Vancouver, and by day five. I was ready to kick my bike off the side of a mountain in, in yeah. North of Hope, BC. There was no way I was going to keep doing this. And then once the cardio started to get into place and the, the legs stopped burning all the time and my ass hardened up. And How long did that take? It's like he must have an ass of steel. I don't know. Saskatchewan, Manitoba. <laughs> out there. But it was that mental aspect of being in my head. We'd try to ride for seven, eight hours a day or nine hours and yeah. just riding solo like that and being in your own head for that long every day people ask me when I was done like man that must have been hard I was like not as hard as it was mentally just to keep going um and then start thinking about why am I doing this and all those different things right and fighting those stories we tell ourselves that I haven't finished anything in my life what what makes you think you're gonna finish this and all these things like that right yeah unbelievable that's but for the record, I would probably ride across Canada again before I try to run 700 kilometers. I like running too, but nowhere to her capacity. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. I won't even do a full marathon. I'm like, no, too much. That's crazy. Too much. But if I, I do. can do the race on the back of a horse, I will do it. But I'm not <laughs> going on my feet. I have retired from that sport. There's an ultra where the guys race uh, there's runners and they race horses. Nice. Yeah. There you go. Huh. Yeah. And I'm in. People are riding them. So yeah. Huh. There's only one in the history of the race. There's one guy that's beaten the horse and it's the last two years he's beaten the horse. Wow. The horses get like a timeout without a drink and stuff. The runner doesn't get a timeout. I don't know. I feel that's a little unfair. That is. <laughs> to check on their health and well-being and stuff. <laughs> It's a weird world, but actually there's That's a, awesome. I've met a lot of people that are in recovery that are ultra running. Cause right. it's that, that brain, <laughs> the yeah. same brain that drives you to burn your whole life up also can propel you to run. It's a very powerful, powerful, powerful tool. We just need to learn how to use it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I hear this all the time and you mentioned it in your story, you know, it's suggested lots by professionals or, you know, people in 12 step, whatever that looks like, don't make any huge changes in that first year of recovery, any life changes. Right. And you made yeah. a lot of them. 
Yeah. And I know I made a lot of them myself too. And I think that just comes down to the individual. It's not a cookie cutter, right? It, they're all suggestions, but sometimes in your instance, in my instance, it worked. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't the, I'm going to move back to Medicine Hat or for me, I moved to Medicine Hat. It wasn't the logistical fix. It was just a complete surrender to doing the work and, mm-hmm. and moving for you, it was moving back home and, and reuniting with your son and finding support. And I think that's a cool piece that you didn't just come back here and throw all the cards, you know, leave them all in BC and, and come back here and say, okay, I'm fixed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I had a, well, it had been 10 years of burning bridges. So I had a lot of trust to earn back. Right. Yeah. With, um, with my ex-husband, with my, my mom and sister, with everybody, everybody. It's really, you didn't come back to hide from anything. You came back to face. Yeah. I knew I had to be like present there every day that I could possibly be for Liam in order to get the, the time with him that I eventually wanted to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that I was able to, um, to get into, to some long-term recovery at when he was still 10. Cause I think it would have been much harder if he'd been in, any older for sure yeah wow and i think like anyone else experiences that and i know why i just know early on in recovery sorry doesn't mean shit anymore to people right yeah Yeah. so it's that action piece and by you doing the work my story the same thing doing the work it took a long time there's no way that the people that i fucked over in my life were gonna say okay well we forgive you but you know seven years later it's got to that point, right? I don't know if they've completely forgiven me, but that's their piece. That's not my piece. But by staying sober, by staying off the drugs and working on my recovery daily, and I'm sure it's similar for you, it's it's started to be that action piece, right? It's like the proof is in the pudding. Like this is all changed. Yeah. And I'm not that person anymore yeah. that I used to be. And that really helps. I find anyway, really helps mend those relationships. Yeah. I have a better relationship today with my definitely people in my previous life than I've ever had, even before I got into recovery, right? It's, it's really changed our perspectives on life. And Yeah. I think you can be more authentic and yourself, mm-hmm. right? Without addiction. Oh, and after sure. working through all the, the problems yeah, that and come almost, with it. Totally. Cause you lose your identity. Totally. Like we talk about that all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a big piece that goes missing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or yeah. And maybe it's, for me, it was losing that identity that I didn't even really know I had back then because it was something that, you know, I share this all the time. It was society, my dad, different people in my life from a young age told me what I needed to have in my life and what I needed to accomplish to be successful and happy. Right. And I eventually got to that place and I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel like hmm. I didn't feel fulfilled at all. I didn't know what my purpose was. I know it sure wasn't laying pipe in the ground and burying it for the rest of my life. That was purposeless. But once I got into recovery and started to do that personal work and figure out really what my values were, not the ones that were told to me and what I really liked and my passions, then that's the reinvention piece for me was like, holy shit, life is really cool. Yeah. When, when you stop allowing people to tell you who you are Mm -hmm. and what you can do and what you can't do, you, uh, you start to get a little bit more uh confident um you start to feel a little bit more braver and uh day by day you uh start to build on the previous day's 
positive things, right? And um, I think a huge thing that uh, you said is, you know, an attitude of gratitude, right? Um, that's that's a way that we start to use our words in a positive way to start to retrain our brains. And um, having the ability to rewire our cells is, is, is such a powerful tool. And I don't think a lot of people understand how much power they have to take back if if they would just learn how to talk to themselves in a positive way and it starts with finding you know things that make you happy and uh having you know gratitude and uh i woke up today and um i got out of the shower and i looked at my phone and uh we were we were coming to the aid of of you know poncho <laughs> and i said to you know Steph, i said i have haven't ever had a group of people in my life that actually care about me as a person who are actually going to be there when i don't want to be there f- you know for myself and it's it's about you know hanging out with people that you want to be like and people that make you want to be a better person and when we can do that um and i've been able to do that now here it's you you don't ever want to go back to the way that you used to be so so true yeah we got a lot of good friendships going on in this group that's for sure Totally, and we and hope we keep... to make a lot more. Yeah, and that's... now you're one of them. And now so you're one of them. Welcome, to be here. welcome to the best friend group. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, as far as your recovery goes, Keely, what kind of suggestions? Anybody who's out there maybe struggling and listening to this, do you have any suggestions? Any words of advice for them? Um, I just my the biggest thing that I that I wish people struggling that I wish I could have gotten to sooner was that there is no shame. There's, you know, we're still dealing with a lot of stigma around substance use. And um, one of the reasons why I, I wanted to share my story was because I've known, I teach yoga or I've taught yoga for the last six years and know lots of people within the community. And I know none of them, um, would ima- can imagine me being homeless and, mm-hmm. you know, stealing Listerine to drink, but they'll, um, people will judge the people that are struggling on our streets now so easily. And I'm exactly the same as any of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, you know, knowing that there is just absolutely no shame in reaching out for help and, I think that sometimes people might reach out and not get the support um, or reach out to the wrong, to the wrong person. And so to keep trying because it is there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important is to never stop trying. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause everybody has setbacks. We know that in recovery too. Yeah. Yeah. 
for sure. And, and all the resources that are out there cater to different stages that you're in. Right. So whether it's maybe I have a problem, holy shit, I got a huge problem and I need to change whatever stage you're in. There's resources out there Mm -hmm. to work with people. Right. And it's just getting over that, that fear, that stigma, the hopelessness. It's, it's just making that first step of asking somebody for help. Right. And that's, I know that's what we love to do here is we might not be the fit for everyone out there. And I know we're not, we've had people reach out that they're in that pre-contemplative stage or the contemplative stage. Right. And they're not ready to get into recovery or do what we're doing here. Right. But we're not going to just say, well, good luck, find somebody else. It's like, okay, this is kind of where you're maybe at. Let's help you find resources that are going to work with you and get you to the next stage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that I, that the things I had done were the worst things that anybody (laughs) could have possibly done. And that I was, you know, unique in my, my, like how horrible of a person I was. And then, um, you know, just going to a few meetings and (laughs) my stories were laughable and, and well, they, they were, they were, you know, were Mm -hmm. good at laughing at meetings. (laughs) Totally. Good at laughing in the community, but also like they're my, my worst choices during recovery or are not me there or during active addiction. Yeah. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I, think, I love that piece. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And I think we all share that piece, right? Yeah. Some of the stuff that I did in active addiction, <laughs> never in a million years would I think I was going to do stuff like that. And then oh. suddenly I'm taking it to the grave with me because I'm not sharing it with anybody. <laughs> Right. And when I finally did, you know, it wasn't like this magic moment where everything changed, but I could unpack some of that shame that I was carrying for so long. That wasn't really mine. And that helped the next step to be easier. Yeah. Yeah. Shame and, uh, guilt and, uh, fear are, um, you know, things that, uh, can, cripple us um they can um put us in a space where where we think that uh things can never change or things can't can't get better but um damien says it all the time you know fear gets you know smaller as like you you know head head to it right and when um when we find people and we find positive ways to help us uh we we take back the power again and um addictions rob people from being the best people that they can be at that time but just just because all of us have burnt our our lives in the past all of us have done you know things that we're not proud of things that you know i i honestly hope some people don't <laughs> ever find out about right and um but when you when you can talk to people about it um it starts to take the you know fear it starts to allow you to not you know f- you know feel shame and uh you know all of us have have looked or you know f- or Forgiveness for a lot of the things that we've done, and you know, 
Sometimes we might not get it in the way that um, we want, but that's that's a natural consequence, and we have to find positive ways to deal with the natural consequences while we were burning down our lives. Well said. What uh, what do you guys think as we wrap up today? I'm inspired again today. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it. It's crazy listening to everybody's story and how much power it brings to our community of recovery, mm-hmm. right? And I, I thank you so much for answering my crazy text message to come in here. <laughs> <laughs> I am so thankful to have, uh, I, I know Keely in addiction and I know Keely out of addiction. Yeah, I was thinking about this morning. I'm like, she's seen the, <laughs> I've seen her at her worst and yeah. she sits here at her best. And that's, that's, so cool. that's pretty remarkable. And her son is, is amazing. An amazing human being. Yeah. It's a pretty cute bye. <laughs> cute guy. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Me yeah. Too. And how about you, Keely? What do you, anything you uh, want to share with the listeners? I'm really grateful that you guys have started this. I, mm. um, I'm very impressed with, with what you've developed in the, the community that you're building with the listeners. And yeah, I'm very excited to, about it. So cool. I think it's something that our community really needs desperately. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, we may have started it, but it's people like you coming in here and sharing your story and being open to being, you know, vulnerable and being courageous. And that's what keeps this going because eventually people are going to get sick of listening to us people here just on the mics every day. (laughs) Right. So it's, it's that new voice and it's, it's a different story with the, Similar results, but a different way you got there, right? And now it's a story of hope. And that's mm-hmm. the piece that I love sharing and being part of this is that the more we talk and the more we share our stories, we begin to use them to open the door for the next person to come out and share their story and heal and get on the recovery journey. Because it is amazing. I used to hear that all the time when I first got into recovery and I'd go to meetings and I'd be like, you're all full of shit. <laughs> How is any of that possible? All this laughter and hope. And now I'm sitting on that side of the room and I know newcomers coming in. They're like, you guys are full of shit, but it's possible. And it just takes a lot of work. It's not a magic bullet. It's, it's daily reprieve from our addiction based on the, the effort and the work we put in and the gifts just keep coming. Like you're going to run an ultra marathon and set a record for women across Canada. That's pretty cool. It's freaking amazing. How can people donate? Yeah. Um, there's a, um, it's a GoFundMe. The link is on my um, social media. I can share it with you guys. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we'll promote it on our social media for sure. So cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Very happy to have you. Well, we are so glad that you came in today. Thank and it's nice you. to lay my eyes on you two again. I get to see you guys every week, though. It's pretty awesome. I love sharing space in here with, with people in recovery because it's just... It's a family. It is. Yeah. And it, we keep adding to it every week. So you it's pretty what? amazing. It's pretty awesome. I'm happy. Happy to be here every day. So thanks for tuning in again, Plugged In Media Network. Dave in the background, Rob in the background. You guys are killing it back there. You always do. That's what makes this sound... As Smarter. good as it does, um, rate and review. If, if anyone's listening on Apple Podcasts, hit that rate button, 
five stars is great <laughs> and send us a review we'll read them on the air share them with your friends because you know what it's not about numbers it's not about how many listeners we have it's about these messages getting to the ears that really need to hear them and uh, that's the important piece for us it's not about what we're doing you know because we want pats on the back it's just to help the next person out of that dark spot so if you can share it that would be amazing anybody interested in sharing their story if it's a story of hope send us an email help at our collective journey.ca hit us up on our webpage, our collective journey.ca social medias you name it we're there try to find us um with that the end that's a wrap from darkness to life is an our collective journey podcast these are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges if these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn our collective journey is here for you please consider supporting ocj by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate all proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community hosted by members of our collective journey produced by rob pape engineered edited and directed by dave crookshank from darkness to life is a plugged in media network exclusive thank you for listening